Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have yeah. come out this week and yes. review them. And we got a big old stack for you Hello. today. But This is a big stack. Big stack. At the end of The Stack, we're going to be talking huh? about a book that was requested by one of our listeners in the iTunes comments. If you would like to request a book, an old graphic novel or trade or a current book that we're just not reviewing, drop it in the iTunes comments Something there. We'll get love. to it. And something you love, something, or, hey, something you like want to share, really gives you that uh, you know agita, right? No. Is that right? No, what? No, no, no. I'm not Italian, I, so no, yeah, I, that yeah, much that is clear. clear. It really <laughs> gives you that va 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 voom. <laughs> when um, moon in the sky is a big <laughs> pizza pie. Oh my god, that's <laughs> a more, and that's a comic book that you're recommending on iTunes. Now let's oh, get. Oh, is into that it. your Woody Allen as Frank Sinatra impression? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm the smallest in the womb of a two million. I don't know. I don't know, what man. Just I don't know. Too many things going on at the same time. Let's talk about She-Hulk number one for Marvel. Let's talk about yes. She-Hulk. Rainbow Rowell, art by Roger Antonio. Rainbow Rowell, one of my absolute favorite novelists. She is also the writer most recently on Runaways, if you know her work there. Here, we have a She-Hulk who is... Back to status quo, but not feeling her status quo right now. Whoa. Trying to figure out what it means to be a lawyer. Trying to figure out what it means to be She-Hulk. And this issue, she goes, Womano, uh, Womano. What are you doing? <laughs> With Ray, she goes, Ray Romano to Ray Romano. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what did you guys think about this? Did this team work well for this new take on She-Hulk? I like it a lot. I feel like there's uh, this sort of air of melancholy surrounding uh, She-Hulk at the top, uh, surrounding Jen, and um, you know, there are little flourishes of her taking off her shoes and her suit so she doesn't ruin them before she hulks out. Smart. Super fun. It's very, and it's just like the attention to detail is what I love about uh, Rainbow's work, and here we get just more of that. I love this sort of like, let's not do the old superhero paradigm stuff. Let's be a little bit different. Um, Her friend, She-Hulk's friends coming um, to help her out. And a re- the reveal at the end, which I um, really enjoyed and was um, surprised it's taken this long to have what happened happened. Yeah, I think this is a great first issue. Really kind of get uh, an understanding of what this run's going to be about, what the She-Hulk is about, what this kind of Jen Walters is about, like w- w- her kind of like status as far as like a lawyer. I, I liked the the fact that we're getting kind of like a struggling uh kind of Jen Walters I feel like that's super relatable I like the confidence uh, that She-Hulk brings to this character I I like the kind of our, like art we're going to battle but then afterwards we're going to walk away friends twist I thought this was really great I'm very excited for this uh run I think this is going to be a great She-Hulk run that hopefully people will talk about for a while Let's move on then and talk about Batman the Night, number one from DC Comics, oh, written nice. by Chip Zdarsky, art by Carmen, uh, Carmine D. Gian Domenico. Excuse me. Now you got to check the Italian. Kill, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Killing it. 
Yep. Uh, really killing it. This is Bruce Wayne before he's Batman, but after he's already kind of decided to be Batman. Wait. Sort of. What? So it's it's so it's it's a younger Bruce, but not that young is what you're saying? Right. It's post Medium. Pearls pre-costume. Okay, great, great. <laughs> but he's not in Japan. The post Pearl period. He's, still, he's in Gotham. You know what I mean? It's right. like he hasn't gotten to Japan yet. Exactly. Yeah, he hasn't yeah, left okay. to go training, but he's still solving some mysteries and rewriting history. Justin, what did you think oh, about this one? Oh boy. <laughs> wow. What nice. a way to sneak in a little ducktail uh there. Um I mean this is the art in this book is unbelievable. So good. Um, Carmine D. Gian Domenico is doing great work here. And the way that it, it we're slicing the Batman mythology, we are slicing ever thinner sections to really explore. And this is another one of them. But I think um, the, the art really makes this great. Yeah, I was surprised because it was like, oh, Batman origin story, go fuck yourself. We've heard this way too many times. But I was, won, I was won over by how, how great this was. How dare you make me read about this character that I like? Yeah, again, with the origin story. No, I think that this is done really well. I think it's an interesting take on it, and it's something we've seen a bunch. But I really love the ending of this issue. made me very excited for what's to come. Next up, Bolero, number one from Image Comics, written by Wyatt Kennedy, art by Luana Vecchio. In this issue, we meet a woman who is lucky and then very unlucky in love to the point that she ends up using a service that allows her to, and this is a big spoiler for the ending here, but this is the concept of the book, allows her to jump <laughs> into alternate universe versions of her life, but never go back to her original life. There's a big twist with that at the end here. Would you, uh, would you guys... What would you do it? Would you do it? Oh, that's your write off. Yeah. No, I no. I, uh, not to uh, not to call out one of our previous writers here, but there's a book that Rainbow Rowell wrote called Landline that I think about all the time, and it's about a woman who, after her life is completely wrecked, she's on the brink of divorce. She's left her husband. She's got back to her childhood home, and she's in her childhood room, and she figures out that the landline in her room can actually call her boyfriend back when they were going out. Whoa. And she's like, oh, my God, I could change time. I can make everything right. But they had kids together. And she realizes, like, if I change anything, my kids could blink out of existence. So about halfway through the book, it becomes this thing of, like, how do I preserve the status quo but make my life better and heal the pain that I have? And I, mm. I think about that as a concept all the time in terms of, yes, the idea of changing the timeline or going to an alternate universe is very appealing. But if, particularly as a guy who has kids, if that changed anything, that would be the worst thing that ever happened in my life. And you should know that all landlines can do that. Yeah. 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 That's why I only use cell phones, because I don't want to tweak the magic. Tweak the magic. Wow. Hashtag tweak the magic. Alex <laughs> Elbin. I'm going to call up old Alex, uh, young Alex, and try to get him to say, tweak the magic a little bit earlier. (laughs) Get it going, you know? Um, A tough call to, to, I mean, I'd be curious. You get 53 chances. Surely I could explore a few and find one. You would find maybe one that would be. It's close enough. Like maybe there's, I find one. Yeah, of your two kids, you'd have still the best one. (laughs) <laughs> wow. oh, man. Alex, that question is tricky to even uh, say or hear, but surely there's someone out there, who, yeah, another I just mean, I could jump kids into. Are fine. Your kids are fine and you can go exploring. Um, you know. Well, technically, the way the book works is that another you comes yeah, into – yeah, like, All the Justins out there, pretty good dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Like I trust, trust in Justin is what I would say to all the other. Is what you always say. Trust. Uh I would say any JT in any of the fifty three worlds has got my back. I'm gonna pop over to the one where you get to eat cereal for dinner or whatever. Oh yeah. Well, as you always say, any JT and any fifty three trusting in Justin. Now over to Pete for his opinions on this book. Uh, well, uh, I definitely would definitely jump through uh, and check it out. I don't have kids, so woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Uh, <laughs> hey, I can hey, do Pete, things I want to do. Bad news, in every other version of you, you do have kids. Oh. <laughs> 
Well, I guess I found the the realm. Uh, anyways, yeah, I thought this was, you know, uh, aside from the, you know, nudity and sex and all that kind of stuff, this was a very Part of life. interesting Part of life. Uh, book. So, uh, you know, the art is pretty incredible. Um, I like this book a lot. I think uh, the way it really let us be in the relationship side had the confidence to really play that out before we got into sort of the the premise, the fantastical premise, I thought was really cool and made me really on board with our characters before we jump through the dimensional door. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Luana Vecchio's art is absolutely gorgeous here. And I do really like the characterization. I've talked about this before. I'm not the hugest fan of the image formula of we're going to set up characters for a whole issue and get you really into them. And then, bam, here's our actual fantasy or sci-fi premise at the end, which this definitely falls into. But I do think the characterization is strong enough. And frankly, the length of the book is long enough that we're able to yeah. sit with them and really understand it. When normally, if you have like a 20-page length, I don't remember exactly how many pages this is, but this is definitely longer than that. I think uh, it's 60 pages. Yeah, exactly. So it feels like two issues there where you really do get to sit with everybody and really understand what's happening before you get into the AU of everything. And I like it. I'm excited for this ride. Let's move into another character who is exploring AUs with the X Lives of Wolverine, number one from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Joshua Kassara. It's not 100% clear what's going on in this event, which is going to jump between the X Lives of Wolverine and the X Deaths of Wolverine. But it seems like, at least on the surface to me, that we have Wolverine jumping through different parts of the timeline to stop Omega Red from killing Professor Xavier at different points, which... It's pretty fascinating, I think. Yes. Uh, what did you guys think about this one? Well, let me throw this out there. Now, Pete, famously not into the X-Men universe right now, but this is the closest we're going to get. This is like the X-Men universe popping into Pete world and saying, hello. <laughs> hello, Pete. What do you like? How do you like a little Wolverine? Yeah. Pete, what did you say? What do you say here? Well, I, it's a little confusing. But I did very much enjoy it. It also looked like it was uh, kind of uh, when Wolverine got the adamantium ripped away from his popping bones uh, for claws there. Popping bones, baby. Hashtag (laughs) popping bones, Pila Page. I'm going to go back in time and have you say that a little bit earlier. Uh, I don't know what your deal is. But um, so it's it's someone who's read... Pretty much every issue of Wolverine, uh, this very much interests me, but it also gets a little kind of like jumping around too much. But uh, you had me at Wolverine. Uh, this is fun, I think. The idea of uh, Wolverine delivering Professor X um, was fun. I'd, I'd be there for you guys. Thanks, man. Uh, Aw. Yeah, I'd go down there and pop bones and make sure that you were delivered appropriately. <laughs> I feel like you're saying something different, but I'm not going to explore that or delve into it too much. Popping bones. Let's move on then to Wonder Woman number 783 from DC Comics, written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad and Vida Ayala, art by Marcio Takara and Skylar Patridge. In this issue, we continue to have Wonder Woman fighting against mirror versions of herself and we get the long-anticipated reunion between Steve, Trevor, and Diana. How'd this strike you, Pete, as our romance expert? Well, I mean, they didn't get a lot of good time. It was more like, hold hold up a sec, Steve. Uh, Kind of in the middle of something right here. But um, I love Wonder Woman and Steve together. I also... This is a really great comic. I'm I love the art. I love the action. We kind of elevated Dr. Psycho a little bit. I really want her to kind of know he's the bad behind this already. We've kind of gotten a couple of glimpses of him and I'm like kind of like, all right, all right, but when's she gonna like whoop his ass? But uh I I'm having a great time. Yeah, I like this the mirror uh thing, the mirror Wonder Woman felt like the threat and then now it's just getting more and more complicated in a great way. Um, the art is great. We get to see some sort of distorted, funny versions of Wonder Woman. Great looks. And mm-hmm. her and Steve, uh, they she, they seem happy. I thought they this was not going to be working out for them. But as soon as they saw each other, I was like, there was a lightness there that I thought was cool. And I didn't know she could t- boomerang her tiara like she does. 
Yeah, oh, yeah man. Definitely. Everybody oh, yeah, knows man. that. Yeah. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Underserved power of Wonder Woman. Aerosmith behind enemy lines, number one from Image Comics, written by not Aerosmith, written by Kurt Busiek, art by Carlos Pacheco. This is this book was amazing, crying, amazing, crazy. (laughs) (laughs) This book actually is what if World War One was fought with fantasy creatures. And uh, the art, as usual with Carlos Pacheco, I thought was great. The storytelling with Kurt Busaic, as usual, is great. I thought this was a fun start to this book. Um, I enjoyed it. How about you guys? Yeah, I mean, I'm a sucker for dragons. Why not? You know, uh, who doesn't want a magical dragon that flies you around where you need to go? This is just cool, uh, visually really fun idea. Kind of a... uh, quirky enough twist that like, Hey, all right, I'll, I'll fucking go back in. Let's see this from a different angle. So yeah, I, I love the play on words here, Aerosmith man. And, uh, I think this is uh, definitely worth checking out. It's not a play on words, by the way, go ahead. Justin. Aerosmith man. <laughs> no, everybody loves Aerosmith. Oh man. Woo! Maybe Aerosmith is a play on words. Um, I I like this a lot too. I feel like uh, Kurt Busiek like is so good. Arrows, like he's so is good. so good um, at getting in and really building out a world, um, and that's just what's on display here. Uh, this is great. Silk number one from Marvel, written by Emily Kim, art by Takeshi Miyazawa. This is another. New title for Silk, the second one in two years, I think, but from a new creative team this time. But Silk is still working for J. Jonah Jameson, still investigating weird mysteries in New York. Um, How'd you guys feel about this? She might solve a mystery. She might rewrite history. (laughs) Silk tells. Woohoo! Oh, no. That woohoo was really, was not. Uh, Yeah, I thought this. Stop. Please. Uh, yeah, this is enjoyable. Um, I think the kind of uh, the time we get to spend with the character is great. It's nice to see the kind of like not just mass time, but also kind of who they are when they're not fighting crime. Great that we got to see both. I like the twist of the kind of like camera dude we get to see kind of like drained uh, later. I, I thought this was creative and great. Um, I what I like about Silk um, is her internal monologue. Um, she has sort of um, the classic Peter Parker uh, Spider-Man monologue, where it's just always going, always reacting to everything. And that's something I feel like we've lost a little bit in the other iterations of Spider-Man. Um, in in the way that it is very uh, sort of fun and reactive. And then um, the character here, who is like the uh, TikTok dude, yeah. Um, that guy really gets it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stay here's off some, TikTok. Here's somebody else who gets it. So Superman, Son of Kal-El, number seven from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by C.N. Tormey. In this issue, Superman is finally dealing with the thing that we've been teasing, I believe, since the first issue, or at least since the beginning of the series, as Harry Bendix releases the rising in collusion with Lex Luthor. Turns out to be a series of superhumans that are taking on a giant crab guy in the water. Things go predictably wrong. Um, I I thought this was really good. Every issue of this is really good. And Tom Taylor always brings some significant political ideas to every issue, which is very impressive. Great Aqualad stuff here. Like um, having uh, them teaming up here is really fun. Um, th- then this Sub-series. crab monster, this crab monster really brought me back oh. to original NES, the game Blaster Master. Oh, yeah, dude! Um, as soon as I saw it, I was like, like yeah. truly time-traveled. Um, and having to fight this thing where you, when you get out of the Blaster Master car and you get into the dungeon, yeah. and then there was a, a cheat you could do where you throw the grenade and then pause it, and it kills the, it just it keeps hitting the boss while you're pausing it, and then it just, uh, then you win. Took me back. Wow. Cheaters never win, bro. Uh, I, yeah, I beat, I, that, I beat that crab monster. Yeah, yeah you did. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought this was really fun. The whole truth thing was funny. 
Uh, I really also like how they're handling Superman and how he's not just like going in, uh, you know, attacking things, figuring things out later. Like the care that Superman takes to understand what's happening before he makes a move. I love it. It's really great. The art is fantastic. I'm really having a fun with this new Superman telling. I as well am having a fun angel number one. Having a fun. (laughs) Written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Daniel Bayliss. This is another one of those alternate universe things focusing on Angel, reviewing the old series with everybody slightly different than they were before. And at the same time, we have a character who is showing up from seemingly an alternate universe who is very confused about everything that's going on, I believe. He was me reading this issue, uh, but Whoa. what about you guys? Ooh, slam, and you're the guy that this is for. Well, no, I, to be less glib about it, I think like a lot of the stuff that we talked about with the Buffy things, they're trying to take this new look at these characters, but I, as a reader, am spending a little more time focusing on, okay, that's different, so what does that mean if that is different in the issue versus actually reading and enjoying the issue? Because I do think Christopher Cantwell captures everybody's dialogue really well. Like, he's got Mm -hmm. the voices down. And I think the art from Daniel Bayless is good. But I I shouldn't... It shouldn't feel like a math problem you need to solve while you're reading it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I want to do math on Math Book Club, the other podcast I do. And here I want to do comics on Comic Book Club. Are you guys reviewing 2 Plus 2 next episode, or have you already done (laughs) it? We haven't cracked it yet. We'll let you know when we're ready (laughs) to stick it in. Love the podcast. Uh, Big fan. uh, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, We break down all the numbers, all the multiplication and division. Um, The... I, Because I don't know, I'm not a crazy Angel Buffy guy, so I know the characters, and I know a little bit of sort of the landscape they're in, Mm -hmm. but I agree with you, this felt a little too dense. I liked the drama and the tragedy that happens here, but um, I just didn't know enough, the book didn't explain enough of the world for me to really get on board. Oh, that's an interesting way to put that. I like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I was really worried about the naked, bloody guy in the beginning, but then he just seemed cool for a while, so it was like, okay, to move on to other characters. Uh, I really love the art, uh, the paneling, and everything was great in this. Um, yeah, I I think, like Justin, I don't have enough of a passion uh, or love of Angel. Angel of the Buffy characters, the one I'm most familiar with, uh, but this was just kind of like... I don't know. It kept it at a distance away from me a little bit. But, um, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, really, uh, like, for super fans or people who really are into it, I bet this is, like, really just fantastic. Maybe. Ben Riley, Spider-Man number one <laughs> for Marvel, written by J.M. DeMatteis, art by David Baldion. This is going back in the day and focusing on the OG clone himself, Ben Riley, um, Justin, were you a Ben Riley fan back in the day? And if so, what did you think about this book? I mean, no, I so the idea I mean, here, not at all. I mean, no one I think is like Ben Riley. That's my Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this, uh, we I don't it, back in the day. Are you saying this is a flashback? Because isn't this yeah, very it much is, right? No, no, I think I Ben think... Ben is Spider Man right now. Yeah, he is Spider-Man right now, but I think at the beginning of the book, don't they say, like, years earlier? Oh, maybe. Hang uh, on, hang on. I took it as current, because I, I, I like this. Years I really like, ago. It starts with years ago. There you go. J.M. um is good uh, at giving a sort of dark edge to um, a lot of the story that he's writing, and that's what we get here. Like, this has been... Uh, fighting, uh, getting ready to fight against this like horrible uh, serial murderer that's going around the city while also dealing with the question, is he Peter Parker or is he not? And uh, he is, the way it worked, I think, if this was back in the day, then it is, he was said, it was said to him that he was the original Peter and that Peter was the clone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he's struggling with that. But Sorry, again, my head exploded while you were. But talking. that's what happened in continuity. Yeah, 
I was, uh, this is not this plot line, but I was trying to explain to my son the other day, he was asking about Peter Parker's parents and I'm like, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> here we go. No. So oh boy. It, it was no. the hey, entire way on the way to school. He was like, schedule. so wait, they were robots or they weren't robots? And we kept going. Wow. Wow. You really give him the whole, you know, yeah, the back. whole history. The whole, I laid it all out. I, I just, you know, I say to random children on the street that, uh, since I don't have kids that, uh, Peter Parker didn't doesn't have parents. He just has an aunt and uncle who raised him. That actually <laughs> reminded me of another story we were on to uh, when my daughter was very young. We were going to Midtown Comics for I think it was like a Spider Man Day event or something like that. Nice. And uh, on the way to the subway, she was like, "Oh, is, is Spider Man going to be there?" And I, I wasn't sure if they were going to have a costume Spider Man everything. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Yeah, There's I don't a know." Cut out of them. On the I second floor. I don't know if uh, Spider-Man is going to be there necessarily. And she's like, okay, well, maybe his uncle will be there. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> no. It's like, oh, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Oh, oh wow. Um, that's heartbreaking. You've yeah. got to teach your kids better. Uh, anyway, so, um, you know, I don't mean to be the mean girls of this podcast, but stop trying to make Ben Riley happen, okay? Just let's just walk away. All right, let's just walk away from Ben Riley and sure maybe it happened a while ago, but we don't have to keep doing this to ourselves, do we? I, uh, He's happening. What are we doing? Ben Riley, that's what we're doing. That's what uh, we're doing. All right. Peter Parker's in a coma. Mm-hmm. Cool. Go back in time. Uh, Homesick Pilots, number 11, from Image Comics, written by Dan Waters, art by Casper Wingard. In this episode, we're getting our ghost house fighting down our ghost mech, and we get some big yes! revelations about how everything works. This is the big event that's been teased since pretty much the first issue of this title. Pete, you seem to be very satisfied with everything that went down here. This, what you're saying sounds insane, but it makes complete sense if you're reading this book. This has been a really fun lead, lead into this giant monster fight that is just... Uh, it's really touching and really cool and very interesting. And I don't know, man, I just, the art, the storytelling, this book continues to turn things on its head and surprise us in all these different ways. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm pleasantly surprised every time I pick up this book, it creatively impresses every single time. Um, wow. That is big praise. Uh, I also really love this book. This, the way that they're able to um, just continue to add wild details to the story and still keep it working, um, and the sort of the narrative twist we get at the end of this issue, keep it this huge scale like house fighting mech. And then still it boils down to, like, these two characters have to go do a funny slash impossible task um, still rooted in the ghost world. It's just really high-flying uh, trapeze storytelling work, and it's it's great. Robin's number three from DC Comics, written by Tim Seeley, art by uh, Baltimore Rivas. In this issue, the assembled Robins are fighting with a bunch of sidekicks of villains who have amped up quite a bit. There is a great twist, I thought, towards the end of this book, and every issue so far has super, super impressed me. This book is killing it. Tim Seeley! Touchy-feely Tim Seeley! <laughs> Our boy Tim Seeley is killing this, and, I mean, it's just one of those books that it continues to really be very cool. Like the Nightwing moment uh, where he digs into Batman is just fantastic. Uh, r- really cool reveal at the end. I I just, uh, yeah, this is a really, really great book. And uh, it's nice to see all the Robins kind of interacting this way. Great story. Keeping it fun throughout. Um, hitting all the characters and some ni- a nice reveal at the end. Also great art. That's Curse. comics. That's comics, baby. Cursed Pirate Girl, The Devil's Cave, number one from Archaea by Jeremy A. Bastion. In this issue, there's there's a cursed pirate girl who has been cursed, and she is, I believe, exploring uh-huh. Uh-huh. The Devil's Cave. It's the first issue of the book, and it's from Archaea. 
This book, if you lined up uh, a thousand hipsters, the backs of a thousand hipsters <laughs> in Williamsburg, uh-huh. their backs would tell, their back tattoos would tell this story. They wish their back tattoos were this good. Come on. But no, the art in this is really cool. It's all like, um, it yeah. does feel like a bunch of like sick uh, arm tat, full sleeve tats. Yeah. Kind uh, of. I, it struck me a little bit more like tarot cards. Tarot cards, I think, also, especially the beginning where it literally is like a few characters reviewing (laughs) tarot card esque. It's it's a little meta in that, or, you know. Yeah. Um, Uh, But I I like the story. I feel like the art is um, super detailed. This is the kind of book that you would want to see, like, in a large format. um, So you could really get a look at it. but it, it's a fun, sort of irreverent. It reminds me of um, old Drinky Crow comics um, mm-hmm. from the Village Ooh, Voice cool. uh, back in the day. Deep Cut um, wow. featured in JT a lot of says. They Might Be Giants merch for a while, and I'm um, in the Village Voice. I have a bunch of Drinky Crow, They Might Be Giants shot glasses upstairs. Oh, my guy. There you go. I don't know what just happened. Uh, anyways, we're exploring think, our fandoms, Pete. <laughs> okay, great. Good for you. Um, so yeah, I think that this is like creatively amazing, but really hard to read a little bit at times. Um, I didn't know if like I, I just if I had it, you know, like if if uh, if I like could. Uh, Instead of reading it digitally, I think maybe like if you had it on someone a series of backs that you got to like look, <laughs> yeah, look yeah. up and read, it would make it would be easier to kind of hold and and uh, kind of be able to read because it was kind of making my brain explode a little bit. But I just can't tip my hat enough to the creativity on each of these pages. They're just really just masterpieces of art. Um, so it feels weird to kind of like. Uh, uh, say anything bad about it because it's just so awesome. But uh, sometimes it was a little tough to read, but man, really just really fantastic. Silver Surfer Rebirth, number one from Marvel, written by Ron Mars, art by Ron Lim. This is another throwback book, this time focusing on Silver Surfer, teaming up first with, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the character, but it is a descendant of Captain Marvel. Legacy? Legacy, there you go. And then eventually Captain Marvel himself potentially bringing him back to the Marvel Universe in some way. But that uh, at the end we get a, another reveal of another character from that side of the universe. This is good classic fun, I think. I mean, yeah. I love the Silver Surfer. And, like, we had he's just been gone for so long. There were some great runs in, like, the mid-aughts where – it was like Silver Surfer really like looking at himself and trying to like uh, struggle with philosophy and religion and those things. But this is just like a classic uh, Silver Surfer being a good guy. Great Ron Lim art, which is like the Silver Surfer artist when I first started reading comics. So that was cool. Uh, I don't know if uh, Captain Marvel is going to come back because he was like, oh, wow, I survived cancer to come here and fight with you. I was like, that's what you say when you're about to die. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this is just like taking a warm bath in nostalgia here. This uh, Silver Surfer is really great. I I love this kind of like uh, tale where we get to kind of meet up with Silver Surfer out in space and kind of catch up with uh, what's going on. He loves space. Yeah, it really does. That's um, his warm bath. Yeah. I, I Yeah, this was just great. It's nice to see Ron Mars kicking ass, doing what he does best. Um I love the kind of reveal at the end. Uh, I'm all on board. This is great. Primordial number five from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Andrea Sorrentino. In this issue, our missing space animals finally make their way back to Earth, but things do not go as planned. Now, Justin, I think you've been a little critical of this book, just in terms of the pacing of what's happening and also the fact that you hate animals. What did you think (laughs) about this? Make them humans, I say. (laughs) You're always walking around the neighborhood saying that to dogs, right? Yeah, I'm like, act more like a human, my four-legged friend. Aww. Poop in a toilet, I say. Uh, I'm like a weird, eccentric millionaire. What makes a man that he poops in a toilet? I say yes. You, sir, walking that dog, how would you like to walk around on a leash and poop on the ground? 
<laughs> I'd love it. Yeah, that, would be, that would be a nice relief. Anyway, the cops and then, and then I had to then I had to walk both of them. So uh, the comic. So um, I think my my very light criticism was that it's so spare. There's not a lot of story here, and um, this it's starting to ramp up. We're starting to get the story really going, and I. I don't mean that as a harsh criticism. I think this is the kind of book that when you read all these issues sort of back to back, it really is ramping up to this heartfelt story. We get some uh, – this older woman who's like clearly sort oh. of E.T. connected um, to to these animals or at least one of them. And um, when you got an Elliot E.T. connection, that's fun. Uh, OK. Have you, yeah, ever, this, have you ever had an Elliot E.T. connection with anyone yeah. or anything? Well, I do love races, and I would travel anywhere to get them, so I guess yes. But here's here's my thing. This is heartbreaking shit. Um, I was really enjoying this up until my heart got broken, and then I was like, how dare you, Jeff Lemire? This was uh, so beautiful and very touching, and now I'm, I'm hurt, and I'm really worried about what's going to happen. But uh, beautiful, amazing, artistic. Yeah, everything kind of culminates in this issue. Wonder Woman Evolution, number three from DC Comics, written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Mike Hawthorne. While, I guess at some other point, while uh, Wonder Woman is fighting mirror versions of herself, she's also been sucked into some sort of alternate reality where she's being judged for something. We don't know exactly what yet, but in this issue, she's going up against the Silver Swan and finding out some weird twist about what's happening to her. Uh, like we said with the last issue, I really appreciate that we're getting these two, well, actually multiple, but yeah. just here in this stack, two very different stories about Wonder Woman right now. Um, it's something that didn't exist for a while, and I think there's a place for telling all these stories in the DC universe. It's almost like um, sort of the mirror image of the the Wonder Woman story in the main book, where especially when it started, when she was traveling through different mythologies, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman was like at a loss, didn't know what was happening to her, but was having to be thrown in these situations. And this is the flip. It's she knows everything about herself, but she's being judged for those things. Um, so it has that Twilight Zone-esque vibe to it, and the art reflects that um, in a cool way. Uh, and the um, it, Wonder Woman's having a renaissance, I think, right now. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I really think this is an interesting book. Uh, love this idea of the Wonder Woman under trial. Uh, I love the look of the old school kind of flashback of Wonder Woman. Uh, I'm really enjoying this. King Spawn, number six, from Image Comics, written by Sean <laughs> Lewis, art by Javi Fernandez. In this issue, Spawn is fighting a bunch of dudes, I believe. Well, two dudes? Two dudes, I guess. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't There's know. a bunch. There's a bunch of Spawn stuff. Spawn is spawning it up. What would you call two bananas? <laughs> bunch? 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 Two? In any case, Spawn is bunch? finally facing the people who have been manipulating him this whole time. This continues to be the strongest that Spawn has been in years at this point, and I'm really enjoying this ride. Pete, what about you? Yeah, man, uh, it's nice to see Spawn back where it belongs, the top of your pull stack. Uh, no, I think this <laughs> well, is really great. like 15th, but go ahead. Oh, oh man. Did you right. say pull stack? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I think this is just great. I love the kind of like double page monster spread we get in this. Uh, we're kind of getting this kind of backstory of what's going on. I, I love it. I'm having a great time. I feel like Honest this book game. is intoxicating you. You sound like you are at a monster truck rally. You're like, I love the pull stack monster uh, yeah, truck rally king spot. You know what I love to do? I love to just like grease myself up, go into the comic book store and say, oh, give me that pull stack. I want that pull stack. <laughs> Wait, Alex, are you doing a monster truck rally yeah, announcer? Because that's a very pervert, very yeah. pornographic. Uh, Never been to a monster uh, truck rally. That's where <laughs> there's a bunch of people Sunday, fucking and you fuck Sunday, whoever you want. Right? Sunday. Uh, you were at an orgy, I think. Oh. I couldn't believe there was an announcer there. And yeah. there was. Yeah, he <laughs> was right, a, everybody. Like Pete said, it was on a Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> he did keep talking about people's posters. <laughs> I don't um, know what's happening. I think Alex just broke. We're, uh, Pete, here's a, we're reviewing comics. <laughs> oh, okay. We're my reviewing bad. comics. Spawn this is, the is great. Check this out is the Spawn. Stack. 
Um, Pete, what <laughs> did you think? That of- I like a Spawn comic book is killing me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but I, I mean, I think across the board, this comic Ooh. is good. It um, it is using some Spawn mythology stuff where I'm like, wait, Wanda's the villain, I guess here or something. Hey, watch your mouth. Hey, I don't know, uh, but I like the sort of my the part I'm most interested in is the sort of cabal of villains that both worship and are trying to destroy Spawn here, and uh, we get like uh, a throne is being built for him that is probably going to be fucked up out of bones. Yeah, it's a bone throne. Detective bone Comics, throne. both. Uh, they also talked about that at the orgy. I don't know if you guys oh, have any info, guys. but let me know after the podcast. Detective Comics. All right, head over to the Bone Throne, everybody. We're giving away <laughs> we're giving a beach house at the Bone Throne. <laughs> Detective <laughs> Comics 1049 from DC Is it Comics. like where you got to sign up for a credit card and you get a free towel, or you just give it away free towels? So just sign up for your MasterCard orgy. <laughs> This, you do not use this card around your family, but then if you do, you get a free beach towel. Written by Mariko Tamaki, Matthew Rosenberg, art by Ivan Rice, Fernando Blanco. This is continuing the storyline of Arkham Tower very quickly yeah. falling apart. Here we find out a little more about what is going on with the tower, as has been with previous issues. The Bat family is very suspicious about everything that's going on here, but they don't have a lot of answers. Meanwhile, in the backup story, we are exploring more of a kid who hates the Joker and also hates Batman and what's going on with him. Things get pretty bad for that kid before the end of the issue. Two great stories in this issue. Um, Pete, you were a fan before anybody. That's right. (laughs) Batman who? Who needs them? This is a lot of fun. We're kind of getting this uh, uh, Arkham Asylum tower thing that is going to go horribly wrong at some point, but somehow seems to be going all right for now. But man, uh, and then this heartbreaking kid story that's all sorts of twisted, messed up. This This is really fun. This is different and fun and uh yeah who needs a batman um as the tower is falling apart uh, our heroes batwoman is falling apart and she like the art is really reflecting sort of like the descent of both of these things happening at the same time uh i love the moment where she sees the um the guy that she caught the criminal that she arrested before like i feel like i haven't seen that in in comics that sort of like memory trigger and how it um affects uh uh, the hero like so i I think this is like carving out different areas i feel like we were making fun of the idea of arkham tower but this story has been able to sort of uh defy that criticism a righteous thirst for vengeance number four from image comics Art by Andre Lima Arogo. In this issue, our main character is still trying to escape with the woman he rescued. Unfortunately, they've been waylaid going back and getting her son. Meanwhile, the forces of the bad guys have found out about him and are going after everybody. Pete, you're a big fan of this one as well. Yeah. Hit us up with those pinions. Uh, I just think this is... I think this is just so action oriented and so great there's not a lot of talking there's a lot of panels that just the art and the action are the star uh uh, this is how comics should be i'm having such a great fun time this is so intense you don't need words man do it all with pictures bro (laughs) um I like this a lot too. Things, it, this feels like a spare, like each issue is like a spare short film. Um, yes. Sort of, uh, really image focused, and um, things keep getting worse for basically everyone in this comic. Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number seven from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Bilquis Evely. This is the second to last issue of this book, and it is a big one as Supergirl is fighting off pirates who have come to rescue the main pirate who hurt Crypto, while down on the planet, her companion is trying to decide whether to kill the man or not. Another fantastic issue of this book. This has been an incredible run. I feel like I've struggled to make the right comparison, sort of like pop culture comparison, but I have a new one based on this issue. It's like Xena Warrior Princess meet as if it was written by um, Game of Thrones, the Game of Thrones creative team. Like it's that kind of like partnership 
a bunch of very like bad things happen. It's a struggle every time. Uh, plus superheroes. But there's no uh, dragons, though. There could be. There okay. was a dragon a couple of issues back. But go ahead, Pete. What did you think about this one? <laughs> uh, all right. Stand corrected. Uh, this comic is great. All caps. It's just it continues to just be a master class. A great comics. I, I art alone is worth it. Agreed. This is pretty much perfect. I'm very nervous and excited to read the last issue. Next up, The Silver Corn, number eight from Image Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Michael Walsh. This is a horror anthology that follows an evil coin that inspires people to do some very bad things. And in this issue, we find out what it does to a janitor who otherwise is pretty happy with his life. The Silver Coin, of course, corrupts that and turns that horrible. Justin, you're a big fan of this one. Talk about this issue. I I love this book. I love I love the way it's able to maintain sort of the quality of the horror story throughout uh, throughout the series across the series. I should say um, it's this is just another great story. We get this sort of um, image runner through it of uh, a coin falling and then a hand sort of reaching for the coin, and we find out at the end like what that means and. It's great. I love watching every issue of the different characters descend uh, based on uh, coins. Which do you think, guys, before you offer your opinion, is the most evil coin? And our base, our normal American currency coin. Oh, uh, the 50 cent. Oh, I was going to say the 50 cent coin. Just it's weird. Like it's too large. Too big. It's too big. You, you, got a you lot don't of encounter them coins. very often. You don't encounter And when you get it, you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? How often do you get one? Yeah, where, where are you getting Me, that? every day. Wow. <laughs> the man you, at the barbershop tosses it to me after I shine his shoes. <laughs> you shine his shoes? <laughs> it's a very confusing system. Wow. Pete, what's While the most you're getting a haircut? <laughs> While you're shining his shoes? Yeah. That um, is old-timey. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I the, the <laughs> He's penny. up there on my head. His foot is up in my face so I can shine it. We're all working together seamlessly. Oh, Great wait, I'm, st- I'm thinking of that orgy I went to. Go ahead, Peter. Yeah, that sounds oh right. God. Please stop talking about that. All right. Uh, this, Shining his shoes. It was a this, nice time. This book is just continues to be, it seems like it's like, oh, well, well they're going to kind of run out of ideas because it's just about a fucking coin. This continues to be creatively impressive. All the different places they can take this. Uh it's horrible and horrifying, like the the amount of stuff that happens in these books, but it's done so well. It's really impressive what this book is achieving, even though it's so gross and it makes me disturbed. Wait, Pete, you said the penny was the most evil coin? That's right. Uh, it's the dime. What? Dime? Why? Too tiny. No. Uh, what are you talking dime, about? Dime's worth more than a nickel. Nickel's way more, way heavier. Shut the fuck up. Easy right. to lose a dime. No, no, you hold a dime, dime up in the oh air, God. it floots away. <laughs> oh, my God. Dimes a just dime fly out of your hand. It's perfect. It's small. It's powerful. It's it's exactly what you powerful. want. Powerful. Yeah, it's more powerful than the fucking nickel, man, and it's smaller. That's powerful? More, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I that's love, why I love by the way, I love that this is the most engaged on reviewing anything that both of you have been in this entire podcast. <laughs> Nightwing number 88 from DC Comics, <laughs> written by Tom Taylor, art by Bruno Redondo. In this issue, we're continuing the storyline of Dick Grayson uh, giving a ton of money to the city of Bloodhaven. Um, the uh, bad guys, specifically Blockbuster, don't particularly like it. But in this issue, all of Dick's friends come to help him out. Wonderful issue. Wonderful seeing everybody. I love all the friendship apparent here. I think as a longtime comic book fan, I've got sick is the wrong word, but just sort of it feels part of the world for just a bunch of heroes to come in and do stuff. But there was something about this issue that actually felt very special in terms of the way they brought in everybody supporting Dick. And that's very rare to read, which made me very happy. Yeah. I mean, this is an epic. We've talked about this a lot, but this is an epic run on Nightwing that Tom Taylor is doing. And the art by Bruno Redondo is also excellent. But I think just the spirit of the book, even though they're doing like the, the heroes, team or like friends come in like it's so light it's so bright it's fun 
And then the story builds to like this like horrifying darker place at the same time. It's just doing it all. It's a, the complete package of a comic right now is the Nightwing run. It's a it's a great package for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm I continue to be impressed by this run. It's it hits you in the feels this issue for sure. It's really moving. It's very powerful. I yeah, this is just a great comic that continues to be a great comic. Uh, it's impressive. Speaking of the feels, that backup cover of oh, yeah. uh, Dick oh, yeah. um, and Barbara. Okay, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> I'll take back to that. Back to the Bone Throne slash <laughs> Popping Bones or whatever you said like forty minutes ago, Pete. <laughs> Excellence number track. twelve from Image Comics, written by Brandon Thomas, art by Kari Randolph. In this issue, we're continuing to have things fall down in our magical society as we explore why women can't cast magic or rather that they can and what that means for the society as a whole. Um, Again, I'm just super impressed every single issue, every time this comes out, how focused each issue is on a specific idea in this magical world and explores it. And this issue is no different. Yeah, this is continues to just be a really powerful, well done book. I mean, it is just Great, uh, very cool, excellent. Great ideas, unbelievable arts. Uh, yeah, I just—it's very moving and, and powerful and great. It's able to do a lot at once, sort of telling this father-son story at the same time, talking about how um, the history has changed to um, cover up some different truths for for different people. In this case, the women who um, who no magic um and while still having some like great reveals and character based uh narrative like it's it's just a good book all around Catwoman number 39 from DC Comics, written by Teeny Howard, art by Nico Leon. This is kicking off a new run on Catwoman, where she is now back in Gotham City. She is fighting the five reformed five crime families, including Black Mask, Roman Sionis himself. Pete, I know you're a big fan of this one. Talk about this book. Yeah, love this team on this book here. This is a great kind of like uh, Catwoman story. I am very much enjoying the fact that we're like the voice of Catwoman here really feels like Catwoman to me. We get to spend some time in Catwoman's head, which I know Justin loves that when that gets to happen. Yeah. Uh, Great art. I live Uh, in Catwoman's head rent free. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm just. Uh, I think this is uh, this has been really impressive. I wanted to kind of put it uh, to talk about it. So uh, yeah, I love this team. This is stylish Catwoman we have in this comic. Like really great art. Sort of reflect the reflections in this art is really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, this is a, a nice new era for Catwoman. It isn't exactly like this, but I think Nico Leon gives it a little bit of the old Frank Miller in Sin City, at least in terms mm. of emphasizing the shadows, particularly in the strip club scenes, which I think is appropriate for this sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's fun stuff. This is a good story. I'm curious to see how it goes going forward. Regarding the matter of Oswald's bodily body, excuse me, number three from Boom Studios, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Luca Casalanguida. This is continuing the story of uh, a team tasked with getting Oswald's body, not Oswald Cobblepot, but Lee Harvey Oswald. The other Oswald. (laughs) The other Oswald. The secondary Oswald in history after Oswald Cobblepot. Uh, And in this issue, there's some significant twists and turns that I feel like finally get to the thrust of the series here. Um, But the art continues to be good. The writing continues to be good. Very curious to see what happens to the next issue. And I think ultimately that's the mark of a good issue, right? Yeah. (laughs) Agreed. You got Uh, it. We really get to stuff in this issue. Uh, A lot of stuff's been leading up to this. This is very powerful, crazy issue. Unbelievable art. Uh, yeah, this is very creative and cool. We're checking out for sure. The, this book is interesting because it's like a heist. Uh, it's like a historical mm-hmm. fiction heist where right. the people pulling off the heist don't know what the fuck is happening. <laughs> and so when in they're in the middle of the heist, they're like, Whoa, what? Oh, no. And then um, at the end of the book, we get sort of the aftermath and sort of a new problem emerges. Um, 
I especially like the first issue in the way they establish all the characters very quickly and how sort of weird, different criminals they are. And now we're just getting to see them all uh, play their games and be themselves here. Last but not least, let's talk about a request from Ad Dude on iTunes. Again, if you want to request a book, drop it in the iTunes comments. This was Spider-Man The Other from Marvel, written by J. Michael Straczynski, Peter David, and Reginald Hudland, art by Mike Rowengo, Pat Lee, and Mike Diodato Jr. This ran through multiple Spider-Man titles, and in fact, in the book at least, it was called Spider-Man The Other Evolve or Die is the full title of the storyline. And if you don't remember this from back in the day, this led to Spider-Man ultimately uh, dying before he died, he was killed by Morlin, and then coming Morlin. back to life with spikes coming out of his arms, more spidery senses than even his spider sense, uh, and a bunch of other things happened throughout the book. Um, what what did you guys think about this book? In particular, what did you think about this book? Uh, Pete and I were actually debating this a little bit before we got on the podcast, but I I would say divorced from the hype of the book, but maybe you guys have different memories of the amount of hype or not this had when it came out. There, I, there was a lot of lead up to this. I remember, which I'm actually, it's much nicer read without the hype. Uh, does that, does that track with you guys? I, I mean, I'll say, and all due respect to the person who asked us to read this, this is not very good. In my opinion, there are wow. things that I liked in well, here. Well, I also want to just say, like, uh, you know, thank you for the really nice review that we got uh, <laughs> by this person. Please and, don't take it back. Please, and, we're begging you. It's all we have. But go and, ahead. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the the thing there was. I, I remember when this came out, or we was talking about it, the event of it, and what it was going to be. And then I remember like reading it, and then being like, "Oh, this doesn't feel like Spider Man. This is really weird and different." I guess the other uh, of it uh, uh, kind of turned me off. And it was it's hard in the beginning if you're not liking the direction it's going because it just keeps going and it gets kind of worse and worse for me. But I, I what's crazy is it's a dream team of people working on this, like unbelievable talent working on this thing. Yeah. It kind of floated across different titles uh, sorry, uh, camera problems there. My computer almost <laughs> fell over. Uh, uh, but yeah, it just starts off like Spider-Man not being present with Mary Jane. Uh, which, that's it. Which <laughs> I did not. What is going on with you, Pete? <laughs> I don't know. Pete, I'm putting on a one-man a one Three Stooges show for us. <laughs> yeah, I just knocked my computer and then my microphone. Uh, killing it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say anything bad about this. Your Pete sense is tingling. Right yeah, now. yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, it didn't feel like Spider-Man to me. The choices that were being made seemed really weird and odd and didn't fit the Spider-Man character, so... I didn't really get into this, but I wanted to read this with an open mind. So I was like, okay, let's come at it fresh, away from all the hype, away from reading all the crossovers. Let's read it collected. Um, but yeah, I still didn't like it. I guess I'm more positive about this than you guys. Like, um, divorced of all the hype, like, this is a story that lets uh, Peter Parker explore a ton of his life. Like he touches all the characters that he's interacted with over the years from the Tony Stark, uh, the Fantastic Four, like everybody he goes and sort of checks in with over the course of this, to try to figure out what's going on with him. And yes, the idea of taking the, the normal Spider-Man origin of a regular kid who gets bit, chance bit by a radioactive spider and adding all this like intense mythology to it. I feel like, the Spider-Man uh, story always does this. There okay, was stuff where it was like the totemic, like, wait, wait, wait. isn't it weird that Peter, that Spider-Man's always fighting other animals and wait. like trying to find deeper meaning in that? Okay, so let me get this straight, though. He takes one yoga lesson from Captain America and he can stop bullets? Like, like that's He doesn't, plan. though. He gets shot through the hand and the shoulder. I know. Yeah, but I was like, what? You took... One lesson from Captain America, and I'm not sure if it was Tai Chi or what you were doing, but, like, <laughs> dude, you can't stop bullets now. 
Well, but I think the idea was that something was changing in him, and so he just wasn't on top of it. And while this, I think, ultimately isn't a part of of Spider-Man now. Like he doesn't have the additional powers that he gets at the end of this. Like, I like the story. There was a bit, I think one of the lines in there was like, are you the man that dreamed of the spider or the spider that dreamed of the man? And like, those ideas are, are cool and interesting. And like, uh, having like, wait, wait, you're saying that the uh, spider one day was dreaming of Peter Parker and that like, he was going to bite him and then they would form this kind of, yeah, this more well, perfect I, union. We, yes, go ahead. We, <laughs> we know about the the spider that bit Peter, but we don't know about the um the the Peter biting the spider. Mm-hmm. What happened to that guy? Yeah, <laughs> man, spider. I do like this storyline better once Peter Parker dies because it feels like, in retrospect, that a lot of the front part is just building up to that and just building yes. up to this thing of. What you're talking about, divorced from any continuity, divorced from the fact that, like you're saying, they don't actually long-term follow up on this, like most comics, like most things do not last forever, so that's fine. But the idea of saying, hey, he's not really a Spider-Man, he's running around in a blue and red costume, shooting webs out of his wrists, and he has a spider set. Like, nothing is... Well, not, he's far- shooting them out of his, like, the machine he built. Exactly. So wrist. there's nothing that's like, there are some things that are not spidery, but it's basically Stanley came up with it in an afternoon, and that's what stuck for years. So reevaluating that and being like, how do we organically make him a little more spider-like while not destroying the character. Once they get to that, once they explore that aspect, I do think that is kind of interesting. And that's where the story sits a little better. The lead up part where it is exploring Spider-Man dying, there's something empty in the emotion there that doesn't work for me. What I do like about it is they do learn from the Joe versus volcano situation where you should get a second opinion. You know what I mean? Like if somebody tells you you got a brain cloud, you know, like if someone's like, oh, Spider-Man, I think you have cancer. Like you you should, you should go and get a second opinion, you know, maybe three, maybe four, you know, maybe you really start to annoy all your super friends and be like, listen, uh, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's also weird. I'll just mention at the beginning here that they bring up this new villain called Tracer who then never shows up again. (laughs) Yeah, but I I feel that that's classic. Like this is, and I I actually liked that opening tracer stuff was sort of fun. Seems like a cool guy, but Moreland is a good villain. I think that we Mm -hmm. get out of this and terrifying. And I also think the reason the beginning is a little bit wishy-washy is wasn't that the section that was jumping around through different titles. So it was a little crossovery. And then once we get into the main story, that's where it really locks in. Um, but I guess like a lot of Spider-Man runs where a risk is taken, like I appreciate it for what it is. I don't expect them to be like that Spider-Man. Like, I don't want this to be Spider-Man now still. Like I get why we're not staying with this. We got to go back to the main flavor. Yeah. Um, I Maybe part of it as well is I don't like Moreland. I, I think Dan Slott did a really good job in the Spider-Verse storyline, which I enjoyed, and I thought that was super fun. But Moreland being like this Spider-Man villain who's kind of his doomsday, but also a vampire is very confusing, I think. There's a lot of I will say it's weird there. that he's a vampire, but actually not a vampire. Right. That's the part I'm like, well, I would just make him a vampire. Or not a vampire. <laughs> just simplify like, it. Well, it's like Morbius is also – it's like Morbius the living vampire. It's like why isn't he – he should be a vampire right. or not a vampire. And also, that we're elevating that problem to the silver screen. <laughs> there's also that – there's so many weird things throughout this book, like jokes that are very uncomfortable that do not hold up at all. Like there's some right. gay jokes and sexist jokes and things like that. that yes, that stuff definitely just gross. And there's also the moment after Moreland has kicked the shit out of Spider-Man where they cut to his face and everybody's like, ooh, that guy looks like <laughs> looks like a piece of ass. Oh, my God. They're never going to recognize him again. Doesn't even – there's the dialogue where they're like, doesn't even matter what his identity is because his face looks so bad. And it's just I, – I don't know. There's a lot of that throughout the storyline that, that not a fan is my point. Yeah. yeah. 
But there you go. Regardless, thank you for suggesting it. Uh, I don't want to say I didn't enjoy revisiting it because I did like I liked going re-reading back it. in time. It was fun rereading Regardless, it was fun rereading it, even if I didn't love the storyline. And again, if you want to request anything, iTunes, comments, drop them there. And if you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Sure do. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast, and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Papa Bowen on the Bone Throne. Credit Card Bill.